This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made For This podcast. Dwell is an audio Bible app we have fallen in love with. Dwell's mission is simple, to help you get in the Word and stay in the Word. With several inspiring voices, Bible translations, and original background music, you're going to love listening to Scripture. Go to dwellapp.io slash made for this to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off Dwell for Life. Well, guys, you are in for a treat today. In fact, this is the podcast with somebody that you may never have heard of that will be your favorite one. I'm not, everything I do with Dr. Kreider ends up that way. This is one of my very favorite seminary professors. Wait, no, he knows that's not true. He knows, and everybody that has ever heard me talk about seminary knows, he is my very favorite seminary professor. I actually took, I believe, almost all of my theology courses from you, Dr. K, and you're not supposed to do that. He had me crying in class. He had us li- listening to Linkin Park. Do not tell people, you know, that's probably not allowed it seminary, but that's what he did. He he brought to life the story of God and the reason we exist in a way that captured me. And it really changed my framework for how I think about God, how I think about myself and our purpose here. And so I know it's impossible, Dr. K. I think I took five classes from you in, in seminary, maybe four. So we can't really in 30 minutes here together, you know, bring all of that to all these people. But I I do want to give a little taste specifically when it comes to the story of God, because as you know, we just finished the Theology series and all of that was inspired from specifically your class about the end times, which I would have expected to get in there and it all be about Revelation. But no, you took us all the way back to Genesis. So talk just a minute about that story of of God and and why it's important for us to understand theology in general, but specifically that narrative throughout scripture. So I'm not sure who should feel uh, older today, me or you, Lincoln Park. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. We have all these college girls listening right now that are like Lincoln Park. I actually, I think they know it. My, my kids now don't listen guys. There's lots of cuss words. Did you bleep it out? I can't remember. Anyway. Yeah. 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 So the, the, there's no short answer to that question, except um, I want to go back a, a step further to this. The Bible is so incredibly important to us. Uh, it is the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We believe the Bible because of Jesus. We believe the Bible because God Bible is God's word to us. But as, as, as important as affirming the need and respect for the Bible and trusting the God of the Bible is to know how to read the Bible accurately and correctly. We don't need the Bible to know who God is. The Bible tells us that creation reveals his eternal power and divine nature. All of his attributes are revealed in creation. We don't need the Bible to know who Jesus is. The the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is one of the, I mean, it's not controversial. It's a well-attested historical fact. We need the Bible to connect who Jesus is to what Jesus did. And what often happens, you mentioned eschatology, and that, that, that's still the reaction of students in that course. They come into that room expecting to read Left Behind 
and uh, spend <laughs> our time defending the pre-trib rapture and premillennialism, and they simply don't care. I'm more concerned, I think, about the students who do care, who think that's the most important thing. My, my, my claim is, in that course and in everything I do, is that we, we have to understand how the Bible fits together. We have to understand that, that God is telling this great narrative, and all the parts of the story fit together in that narrative. Mm. All the genres of scripture, that the poetry is not disconnected from that story. The, the wisdom sayings make sense only within that story. The, the, the history of Israel makes sense only within that story. Mm-hmm. Jesus makes sense only within that story. And you can't understand the end of the story apart from the beginning. It's the story of a God who, for reasons known only to God, created the universe. And mm-hmm. he did so knowing in advance that uh, when he created human beings in his image and likeness, they would rebel against him and he would do something about it. I almost said he would have to do something, but he doesn't. Everything he does, he does by his own free will. He could choose to create or not to create. He could choose to redeem or not to redeem. But what he can't do is not know what he knows, which is which is true for us too. We can't unsee what we've seen. We can't unknow what we've known. Uh, so God knows all the past, present, and the future. He knows all the possibilities, all the actualities. So he created a world knowing that things would go as they as they did. And everything from Genesis 3 to the end of the story looks forward to the person and work of Christ in his first and second coming. Everything prior to the Gospels is looking forward to Christ's coming. What, what, the, what people didn't understand until Jesus came, this freaked his followers out. Because mm-hmm. they thought Jesus comes, that's the end of the story. We live happily ever after in a new heaven and new earth. Hee-haw. And then he leaves. And now we wait. Love the, uh, the day Matthew saw. We, we're in that space between the laughter and the tears that keeps mm. us coming back for more. We're, we know what God has accomplished in sending his son the first time. And we know that there's a whole lot more yet to come. That he will make all things new. So we have the story of creation, two, two chapters in the biblical story, God's response to rebellion, Genesis 3 through Revelation 20, and then two accounts of the new heaven and new earth where God makes everything new. So this story, another really important part of the story, is that this story isn't a circular story. It's a circular story. These stories, these stories are repeated over and over again, but it, there is a trajectory of redemption that the goal in the biblical story is not to go back. It's not to return. It's not to restore, but to recreate. Somebody sent me a Herman Bavink uh, quote this morning. Uh, and Bavink, the 18th century Dutch, 19th century Dutch, uh, uh, Dutch Reformed pastor, theologian, uh, said in a paraphrasing, that in, in the story of redemption, we're looking forward to a new heaven and new earth where God recreates, where God redeems and makes all things new. And my friend who sent me that, that's his summary of the gospel. It's Revelation 20, verse 21.5, that he makes all things new. That's, that's some actual really good news, not simply in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of all kinds of things going on in the world as they have been. Um, but that, that God actually has a plan and a, and a purpose, and he's at work accomplishing that plan. So the, the short answer, which and anybody who knows me knows I can't give short answers. Okay, wait, I've got to give you a little credit. You just did the story of the whole 
Bible, the story of God in in less than five minutes. So that was well done. <laughs> I feel pretty good about that, Teddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The short answer is we we need the the Bible. We need to know how to read the Bible so we know how to interpret this ancient book, which wasn't written to us. It was written to other people in cultures and times and circumstances we've never experienced, yet it speaks to us. So how do we move from the ancient world of the text to the modern world in which we live? We have to understand how those details of the story, how those uh, psalms and uh, wisdom sayings and the narrative of Israel, how does that connect to the story that God has written and the story that God is writing? Otherwise, and I could give you, it's been hours giving you, if I could remember, give you examples of how we get in trouble if we don't. So we don't go back to the, the law of Moses to develop our dietary regulations. So there, uh, that, that was God's way of dealing for a time. We don't go, I'm going to kick the hornet's nest. We don't go back to the law of Moses and defend slavery because slavery was practiced then. We have to understand how all of this connects to this story of redemption so that God's people, like God, should be acting redemptively in the world. So what I love about this is that there are a lot of people listening that have just never prioritized understanding God. They have faith. They attend church. They might even read their Bible a few times a week and they keep a journal. But when I say the word theology, they glaze over and they think that's not for me. Why do we need theology? Why not just read the book cover to cover, read the Bible cover to cover? Why do we need understanding of these truths that rise up out of the Bible? Something pretty significant. I learned just recently, something pretty significant happened in the Enlightenment and its after effects, where theology was redefined as the study of God. And as the study of God turned into heady, academic, impractical, irrelevant arguments among the tribes, that tribalism is not some new thing. Social media didn't invent something. It revealed what has always been there. And that many people have the reaction that you do. So I spend in my first couple of days in the first theology course, a prerequisite for every other course is explaining why <laughs> the answer to the very question you asked. If we understand theology as words or discourse about God, as conversations about God, then any any person who is thinking, and everybody is, about the world in which we live and how it's connected to something beyond this world. I mean, the, the eternity in their hearts from Ecclesiastes, the God-shaped whole from Augustine and Salman Rushdie, interestingly, um, and that there there is something in us that screams there must be more than this. There's got to be there's got to be more than this. So that what I'm trying to, to do is to encourage people to de-jargonize and de-academize, which isn't even a word, uh, the theological task and to recognize when you pick up and read the Bible, you're not reading the Bible ignorant of something. You know some things when you read it so that you, you don't read, pick up the Bible and say, I don't know whether there's a God or not. Now, some people do that 
But Christians who are reading the Bible regularly, the people you're talking about, are, are people who who take the Bible seriously, who believe it's important, who believe that God has spoken and continues to speak. So that you're reading with some convictions, you're reading with some pre-understandings, you're reading with some prejudices. So that when you come across, which is another thing that's really important to me, when you come across sections in scripture where where things don't seem to fit what you know about who God is, we don't change our view of God unless your view of God is wonky. You say, that I know who God is. He's merciful and compassionate, abounding in love and faithfulness. If he doesn't seem to be that way, that's a theological claim, by the way, which comes right from the mouth of God in Exodus 34. um, If we come across something that doesn't seem to fit that, then we we either have to change our view of God or we have to figure out how to read that text in a way that is consistent with with who God. And those are theological questions. When we read the text, even if you're, even if the only reading for the text is to get wisdom for the day, you're you're approaching it as, as a theological read. Uh, I think it's really important here to encourage people, um, and this is yeah, I'm just going to say it to encourage people to read it in light of some confessional stance to to read it believing that there is one God, the Father Almighty, who is the maker of heaven and earth, that Jesus Christ is his only son, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost. So the language of, I'm quoting from uh, the Apostles' Creed, the language of Nicaea, it, that's that's our starting point. That's what we believe in. And Jenny, it's also uh, important to point out that not only is the creed, both of those, explicitly Trinitarian, but they also tell the story of Scripture. It begins with creation. And then for us and for our salvation, Christ came and redeemed us. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, that there is creation, fall, and recreation in that story. Otherwise, I mean, here's the problem. If we don't have some theological convictions, some God word convictions when we read the Bible, we potentially read it not only misunderstanding it, but horribly misapplying it in ways where people don't know that when Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out, he didn't actually mean you should do that. When he said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, he didn't actually mean you're supposed to do that. Yeah, if theology is words about God, if it's faith-seeking understanding, it's not possible to be a Christian and not be theologian. It's not possible to live in God's world. Atheists are theologians. Athe- if, if theology, this, is, this was part of the transition for me. If theology is the study of God, then it's a bit arrogant and obnoxious to say to an atheist, you're a theologian. But if theology is words about God, the, theolog- the, the atheist who says, I don't believe there's enough evidence to believe in God, those are theological words. That's a theological position, mm-hmm. and, and I, I, I'd like us, and I, I know you do too, I'd like us to demystify, de-intensify, de, I'm going to use it again, if I use it enough, it'll become a word, de-academize the, the reading of, script, of theology and help people understand what it actually is. Well, I believe that so much so that I literally took a seminary class and turned it into books because for kids, because I 
I really believe it is the most foundational thing that everyone know. If we, yes, the word theology is intimidating, but honestly, understanding who God is, is so crucial and foundational to who we will be and how we will live that the earlier, the better. I mean, I, w- I remember crying in your class multiple times. And one of the reasons I cried was anger of just, I cannot believe I'm just hearing this stuff. Like, how did I miss the big picture and story of God? I'd, I'd grown up in a Bible church. I had done a million studies. Like, I loved the Bible and loved church and, and did a Juanas for crying out loud. And I was 20 25 when I started seminary and I had never heard anybody tell me the big narrative of scripture and so my hope is that that this whets your appetite that you're thinking okay I want to know this story I want to know this God because it's it, you know faith is a gift it is from God and I'm grateful that that is true however how we live will be based solely on what we believe about God. So we've got to do more than just have faith that Jesus was raised from the dead or we're secure for eternity, but there's no fruit, there's no understanding of of who he is and who we are in light of that. And so my my yeah, my dream is it, if theology is everyone's doing it anyway, let's do it well. <laughs> let's do let's do good theology based on the word of God. And let's start early. Um yeah. and the earlier the better. That's so much in my experience growing up in the church and serving in the church, so much of children and youth ministry was childcare and entertainment. Um, and I'm not saying those things are bad or wrong, they're not, but it's never too soon to teach children to think well. And the way we think, I mean, you said it, the way we think does manifests itself in what we do that's so much in my experience and i think this was your i know it was yours too so much of of our experience was that the bible was a a a document that we mine for information it's a bunch of disconnected data and so that whether it's studying this book of the bible disconnected from the rest of the bible i mean how can you read and study Romans without understanding the same guy who wrote Romans wrote Ephesians and mm. Corinthians, and he doesn't contradict himself when he works from one from, from one audience to the other audience. Uh, but maybe even more da- damaging in my own in my own experience was that the Bible was turned into a bunch of proof texts, mm. which are dis- they were tweets before there was Twitter which are disconnected yeah. from the context. I've come to appreciate that to, that proof texts actually do work if the text is a proof text. So John 3.16 is a proof text. It works really well. You don't need a whole lot of context to understand it. Uh, the Romans Road, Romans 3.23, 6.23, 5.8, 10.9, and 10. I think what Paul does in Romans, which he doesn't do in other books, is he sometimes stops and says, this is what I want you to get. So he he gives you that proof text. But if your proof text is, I'll just make this up, Second Chronicles 4.12, it, it probably doesn't help you very much. It, you probably don't even have any idea what that text means. Somebody's going to look it up and, and tell right. us. <laughs> so true. Yeah, that text changed my life. And it might have because God works in mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. 
following along for any period of time, you've probably heard us talk about the Dwell app. It is a audio Bible app unlike anything we've ever listened to before. And there is a voice or a narrator on the Dwell app that we particularly love called Felix. And we just wanted you to hear Felix for yourself. So check this out. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. To get started with Dwell, go to dwellapp.io slash made for this to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off Dwell for Life. 33% off means you save $50. So make sure to visit dwellapp.io slash made for this and commit to scripture for the rest of 2021 or for life. What do you say to a teenager that's like, you know, I want to understand this. I want to understand, but they, they aren't ready for seminary. And I'd say a lot of adults that probably will never attend seminary and they don't want the academic version of this. How, how do they get that understanding? Um, increasingly in the last couple of decades, there have been books written on the story of scripture on the overview. I wrote one called God with us, which I think is is a helpful one. It's really uh, good. Increasingly, there are accessible treatments, and, and, and that's the word I want to use. I, I, I don't want to imply. In fact, I would strongly condemn the language of dumbing it down or overly simplifying it. But we've got to speak the language that people know and understand. I mean, it's the reason why none of us. Um, let me be fair. It's the reason why most of the people listening to you and the people listening to me are not reading the King James Bible. And it's not because the King James was a bad Bible. It's a great Bible for a time when it was the language of the people in a similar way that the, the, that the language of the New Testament, the language of the Old Testament is language of the people. It's the common tongue. And I think so much of what has happened in theology is that theologians are writing for the guild. They're writing for one another and not writing for people who don't have the training and expertise. And we need we need both. We need theologians. We need academicians. And we, that is a word. And we and we. Uh, and we need people who are writing for, and the real challenge for, for a broader audience, the challenge is to live in those two worlds, to be able to wrestle with the difficult theological terms and categories, but to be able to communicate in a way that people understand. So in the, in the seminary classroom, I will use and define the hypostatic union and infralapsarianism and sublapsarianism. That's the only time I ever <laughs> use those words. I feel like hey. students who are paying for a seminary education deserve some big words. Yeah, they, 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 <laughs> hey, I went and graduated, and I don't, I care. I hypostatic union, I got. Yeah, the other two, three, I, I don't even know what those were. You want to know, <laughs> you want to know the truth? What? I have to look them up. Oh, praise God. <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, I did keep every notebook. I, you know, I went to seminary before laptops were regular, you know, I mean, we had computers, but rich people had laptops. So I sat there and I took handwritten notes in all these classes and I still 
20 years later in the top of my closet, have every one of those notebooks so I can look things up too. I probably played Linkin Park on an eight track tape too, didn't I? No, maybe. <laughs> I think we might've been to CDs 20 years ago. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we were CDs. Pretty bad. Okay. Here's, here's what I think about when I think about the idea that someone is excited right now going, gosh, I've never learned that. And I've been going to church all my life is this is actually, I know theology, the word sounds boring and everything we're talking about is a little bit heady, but it is the most exciting story. It is the thing everything is based on. Like this is the the DNA of the air, air you breathe, the body that you have, like everything is knit together by God and through God. And so this is everywhere we look. So make it practical. Like why why do we need to know this? How does it how does theology actually change the way we live? It's everywhere. And understanding that God has created a world and he is at work redeeming it. And one day things will be made new. That there is something, something is not the way it should be, that one day it'll be better, or at least the hope that it'll be better is so deeply embedded in the world that hope screams in the world that God has made. And, and so it, you begin to, to read novels differently. You'll, you'll listen to podcasts differently. You'll, read, you'll watch movies differently. Your TV shows will be different because these, this story is, is deeply embedded in the world. I've, I've been saying this for years and nobody has yet given me a counterexample. I, I don't know of any story in any culture anywhere on the planet that doesn't fit into this creation, fall, redemption, and recreation motif. There is something. Something is not the way it's supposed to be. And one day things will be better. That That is the plot line of the biblical story. That's the plot line of every story. So one of the really cool things about if God is revealed in the world that he has created, that we, we begin to see him at work in the world. And what I'm trying to do, and this is a really simple and modest goal and objective. I was raised in a community where I was taught that the world has fallen, it's broken, it's evil, sin is everywhere, other people are out to get you. And they, I, they trained me to look, to find evidence of fallenness and brokenness and sin and evil in the world. And it's there, it's not hard to find, but it changes everything. If the Bible is actually true, it changes everything. If, as the psalmist says in Psalm 33 and in Psalm 119, the earth is filled with your love. If, if, if God is love, the earth is filled with his love, and we ought to be able to see it. And that change in perspective actually is the thing that keeps me going. It's sometimes hard because, and especially in the middle of a pandemic and violence in the streets and all those, it's really hard sometimes. But, but yeah, the story is so important to God that he recorded it in a book which is uh, written by human beings, superintended by his spirit, the doctrine of inspiration. But there were people who saw this story in the world who believed in this God and this God's story long before there was a Bible. I mean, there were were hundreds of years before Moses ever writes uh, the book of Genesis. People have been doing this for a long time. So, yes, it's incredibly exciting. And to, and to to begin to see, to, to go from, from watching, just a real simple example, to go from watching movies instead of 
merely to be entertained, but to see the work of redemption that's going on in that film and uh, and the hope. I mean, nobody nobody watches a film where everybody dies at the end because we know they're not they're not real. And Tarantino is actually doing something when he tells one of those stories because it's, it's to demonstrate how deeply embedded hope is in the world. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited about it. It, it. it encourages me to no end that you were excited about it. And when I hear from people who are actually doing this, uh, th- this kind of thing, there, there is nothing more important than we, that we do than coming not only to understand who God is and what he's doing in the world, but how we join him in his work. How do we, who have the opportunity to address things that are that shouldn't be the way they are how do we make things different it's the old you can't solve every problem but you can solve you can do what you can where you are and i want to do that i want to raise up generations of jesus followers who want to do that too mm. Gosh, I'm grateful for how you've done that for me. And I pray, I mean, I, I look back at everything I've written, I'm, like, I'm checking it in my head right now. I'm like, okay, stuck with Sanctification 101. I mean, I can almost point to a class for everything I've written because there was such a passion when I said in those classes in taking that to the world that I, I feel exactly what you feel. I felt spoiled rotten that I got that much time and that much excellent teaching on who God is and how we live in light of that. And so... I am I I'm your most grateful student. I really am. And and I pray I I do well with it and that you correct me anytime you see me out there off track cuz that is very possible. <laughs> we're all we're all slightly off track, right? <laughs> Nobody can have perfect theology. We all need people who hold us who care enough to hold us accountable. What do you say in your class? You have to do theology in community. Mm-hmm. That was you. Because you can't sit on an island and think you know the best things about God. So thank you for being part of that for us. And I'm telling you, God with us, I read it. How many years ago did that book come out? Uh, 14. Yeah, I was going to say it was It was right when IF was starting. I don't know that I endorsed it because I don't think I had anybody but 12 Twitter followers that year. So anyway, I would though and publicly do right now say that that book was, was a little bit of crider in a way that you can read and relate to. So yes, everybody go get that. And then Theology is a little bit of Kreider. <laughs> I should have dedicated them all to you. I dedicated them to my kids. You know, they were kids books. So other than that, they're dedicated right now. I'm publicly saying it to Dr. K. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for how you increased my view of God in such a powerful way. Jenny's new children's book series called The Story of God is a 15-year dream in the making, and it is finally here. Go to theolaby.com, that's T-H-E-O-L-A-B-Y.com, and you can find The Story of God five book set. The Story of God will give your kids a big view of God all the way from creation to heaven. They are beautifully illustrated, theologically deep, they have scriptures under every single line, and they all sit in this beautiful keepsake box that looks so cute on your shelf. We love that so many of you are sending the story of God as a baby shower gift or Easter and Christmas gifts to your grandkids. So head to theolaby.com, T-H-E-O-L-A-B-Y.com, and you can order your box set today. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Made for This podcast. Podcast.